0: Thanks, worship team, for leading us today. Let's give them a hand, a thank you. All right, today we're beginning a new series. We are starting a series that we're entitling The Holy Spirit and in You. In some ways, this kind of is a continuation of our last series uh, because we're going to jump back into the story uh, in a very similar place that we were. And I, right up front here, want to give proper acknowledgement to some of the teachers and pastors and sources that have been really helpful in my learning about what we're going to be teaching. Um, Gary Kinnaman, Jack Deere, John Wimber, and of course there's three that you hear me talk about a lot. There's John Ortberg, John Eldridge, Dave Johnson, uh, and actually Jim Lane too, who by the way, our our new pastor Jim, he went with uh, the youth team, because he's a rock star, and he's uh, helping provide some supervision, so look at that. He gets here, he lands, and we send him off to San Diego. I don't even think it was because the weather's so good, but he's a good man. So, um, But if anything I say this whole next five weeks sounds smart, um, it's, it's one of theirs, okay? So there you go. Uh, let's, let's pray. Now, uh, this morning, I, I simply pray this prayer. Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, come. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. All right, well, I want to start with a few questions. And by the way, what we're going to do is I'm going to have some kind of rhetorical questions. And so while I always love feedback and, and people shouting stuff out, and, and especially when you agree with me, because then you're for sure you're right, but um, I, just for the next five minutes here, I'm going to ask you to just keep your answer on the inside. Uh, don't answer out loud because I'm going to be asking the question, but just kind of let it hang. Um, and partly why I want to do that just, just for a few minutes is, is that within our church family here, uh, there's, there's a high degree of likelihood that we have different views or opinions on some things about the Holy Spirit, the stuff that I'm going to talk about this morning. We probably have a wide variety of ideas about how this stuff works, and some of us might have uh, an idea of what the right answer is, and I don't want to put anybody on the defensive, so um, I want you to feel like you can be honest to wrestle through this stuff without pres- feeling pressure to, you know, have the, the right answer. So just for a few minutes, I'm going to ask questions, but just up front. Just keep it, you know, to yourself. Keep it on the inside. You know, starting right now. Can we do that? Ah, oh, gotcha, gotcha. Right. See, see, right there. It's so it's hard, isn't it? Okay. All right. So here we go. A few scenarios and some questions. Suppose you were to were, uh, read. Suppose you were to read an article about a church in South America. What um, they described having in this article as an apostolic outpouring of the Holy Spirit so strong that they were seeing actual miracles happen. Everything from headaches to terminal diseases were being healed, and it actually had become normal and commonplace in this church, and so people were traveling from all over for days just to get there to be a part of what was being called and is being called a move of God. What would your honest response, your first response be, in reading an article like that? Would you take it at face value, like, well, yes, of course, God does that kind of thing today, or would you tend to be a little more skeptical? So, what what would you think? Just hold that thought. Um, another one: suppose you were to see a TV report about a church in a very difficult, rough area. Of a major metropolitan city that had been dying, this church had been going downhill. The the, the city was really rough, but something happened, and there had been some dramatic services. People started speaking in tongues, and and this was not the kind of church that that stuff happened in typically. And longtime members who'd been there for a long time, and even their families for a generation, started saying, "Wow, I." and baptized in the Holy Spirit, and I wonder if I even knew what it fully meant to be a Christian before this. And now, they say, after this outpouring of the Holy Spirit, they say, now I get a whole new, um, whole new doors are opened on what Christianity is all about. So, if you read about that, would it be a good thing or a bad thing? And, And how sure are you about the way you lean on that. And again, just hold that one. Um, here's an actual one. Uh, these are all actual ones, but here's one I just heard about the last few weeks. Um, a, a Roman Catholic church here in Phoenix, where they had begun to pray and repent, to live in humility, um, and talk out loud about the failures of the church over the years. And suddenly the Holy Spirit started showing up. Um, one example is that their teenagers went on a weekend retreat with uh, an alpha group um, to learn more about the Holy Spirit. And in those times, the Holy Spirit's presence was so strong in their times of prayer. Remember, these are Roman Catholics, a little more conservative, right? But in even their mode of praying, which is not real emotional, they would say, they started experiencing the power of the Holy Spirit in a way that the teenagers could no longer even stand on their feet. We old-time Charismatics and Pentecostals, um, we, we used to call that what? Anybody know? Oh, wait, sorry. Simon says, we old-time Pentecostals and Charismatics used to call that being what? Slain in the Spirit, right? Which is always, woo, we'll get to that phrase someday because that's an interesting one, right? Um, but, but this is what's happening in this Roman Catholic Church in our area. Teenagers were having and are having this experience, and there's other places in that church as well, where they are falling down because the power of the Holy Spirit is so, the presence is so strong. Like, does that mess with any of our categories? Right? Does it cause any of us to be skeptical? Or, for some of us, might it even stir some curiosity uh, or hope? Um, in a similar way, imagine like somebody at your work was to stop you tomorrow and say, Hey, I was watching TV. I saw this man. He's preaching. He was touching people on the forehead. They'd fall backwards. What in the world is that? What's that all about? Is that a God thing or not? And how would we answer that? What might we say? Because, by the way, that stuff on the TV that sometimes we see, it might be harder for some of us, including me, to swallow. Because sometimes some of us have heard stories where people were actually, you know, pushed down. Um, pressure was put on them, which is really manipulative, and I think that actually grieves the Holy Spirit, so I'm not so sure about the Holy Spirit's being in that, but but because we know that sometimes happens in a manipulative way, does that actually mean that it's never real? Does that actually mean that never, any other circumstance, that, that God's presence is never really that strong, or, or that anyone who's experienced something like that is always faking? Something to hold and think about, right? Or, or imagine maybe you're talking to your neighbor. You've been talking to them about spiritual things for a while, and one day you're you know you're, you're talking across the fence. Well, I guess here we'd be talking across the block wall. Or, okay, wait, here we go. You're talking in your driveway. That's where it would have to be, right? So you're talking in your driveway with your neighborhood uh, friend, and and they say, hey, you know, I went and visited this church, and there was a teaching that said expect a miracle. So now, listen, here, if I become a Christian, can I expect miracles? And they'd say, I don't, I don't mean vague spiritual change or, oh, hey, I get a ticket to heaven when I die. I mean clear-cut, nature-defying, indisputable, mer- indisputable miracles. Can I expect them? And what would our answer be? Like, so, all of these questions, all of these questions that I've just kind of, scenarios I've run through, they are related to the Holy Spirit and you related to the Holy Spirit and how God actually still operates and interacts in our world today, and it's not always clear, and sometimes some of us have stories of stuff we've seen that are not obviously of God, or it's been full of manipulation, and so we're skeptical, and others have seen legitimate things that we go, well, maybe, maybe so, and so the next five weeks, we're going to talk about this. It's, we're calling the series The Holy Spirit and You. Now, we can't imagine that there's any way for us to, to say everything that needs to be said or could be said or, or maybe even should be said. But I've sensed a need to, to even just step into this topic for a little bit here, uh, and, and that as a church we want to spend um, these next five weeks here. In fact, I heard this week that, that years ago when Hope was um, initially doing a search for a new lead pastor, that there were several different folks that had written down one of the things they wanted to learn more about, was about the Holy Spirit. So it sounds like there is a hunger amongst us and there has been for a while. And so my prayer is that our exploration of the Holy Spirit will help us to go deeper into what God is inviting us into as individuals, but also as a church body together. And and the question, if there was one question I hope that we could answer at the end of these five weeks, we'd have a better answer to this question. Um, How clear are we... Really, truly, how clear are we on the person and the work of the Holy Spirit? How clear are we? Because my guess is that a lot of people in the room, uh, including some of us who've been in church a long, long time, were a little fuzzy about this whole Holy Spirit stuff. See, there's lots of people, lots of believers, lots of Christians, um, people who really love God, right? We're all about, you know, God the Father, right? Oh, yes, God the Father, I'm all about God the Father. Or we could say, wow, Jesus, yes, I love uh, uh, Jesus, the Son of God. So God the Father, God the Son, yes, Jesus and the Father I'm, I'm really great with. But when it comes to God the Holy Spirit, we get a little fuzzy. Or we, I, get a little or even a lot nervous. Like, you know, God the Father is great and Jesus is amazing, but the Holy Spirit stuff makes me, I'll be honest, it makes me a little nervous. That's true of me. Anyone else here admit that? Simon says it's over. You can really admit it. Anybody, the Holy Spirit stuff just makes you nervous? Okay, there's a few of us here. Um, The rest of you just take a nap um, and hang out. (laughs) We'll hope to get somewhere. But while you and I maybe um, might avoid the Holy Spirit or we're shy about the topic or we don't really connect. When we live that way, I just think we're really missing out on the fullness that God wants to offer to us and offer to our lives through the ministry of the Holy Spirit in our life, in our church. And so while you and I might be a little bit vague or fuzzy on the Holy Spirit, um, do you know who is not vague or fuzzy on the Holy Spirit? Jesus himself, right? I heard it over here. Jesus himself. Not at all fuzzy, right? So let's turn to chapter 16 of the Gospel of John. John chapter 16 will be on the screen in a moment as well, and I'll set this up for you. What's happening if you read the whole passage is Jesus is talking to his disciples. This is right before he's betrayed, and he's telling them he's going to be leaving them soon. He's not going to be there with them physically anymore. They're very sad about this. They don't understand it at all. And in verse 6, Jesus says, because I have said these things, you are filled with grief. And then in verse 7, we see how strongly Jesus feels about the need for the Holy Spirit and the importance of the Holy Spirit. Check this out, John sixteen seven. Jesus, again, he's speaking here. And some people, by the way, say that this is one of the most staggering statements that Jesus ever makes. Ready for this? Verse 7, Jesus says, I tell you the truth, it is for your good that I'm going away. Unless I go away... The counselor will not come to you, but if I go, I will send him to you. Now, put yourself in the place of the disciples while Jesus is saying this for just a moment. Maybe you're a disciple and you think back and rewind your memory. Three years before this, where Jesus had called you to follow him, he had chosen you. And depending on which disciple you were, uh, you had some sort of vocation. You had some sort of job, um, and what you were doing was it for the rest of your life. I mean, you're living in a country where your people are being ruled by this cruel, occupying army of the Roman Empire. Most of the money you make goes to taxes, and you live in poverty. So, so uh, you were going to live and die as a fisherman or a tax collector, which is not a bad thing to have as a job, right? A fisherman or a tax collector, those are good. There are noble professions. Well, okay, let's be honest. Maybe not the tax collector, but the fisherman, right? The noble profession, and you're probably doing what your father did, and what his father did, and what his father did, and your son will probably do what you're doing, and there's nothing wrong with a good job, but no matter what your job was back then, or frankly today, if your life has no particular purpose, no particular passion, any job is not enough to fill your heart. But then, you're kind of living this mundane life, um, your life gets interrupted one day by this wandering teacher, this rabbi from this backwater hick town called Nazareth. But from that day onward, for the next three years, nothing is ever the same. For three years, you do life uh, with this man and these other disciples, and Jesus teaches you things that you would have never known otherwise. You, you see Jesus do things that blow your mind, and you've become so convinced of his way of life that you leave it all behind to follow him. I mean before Jesus all that mattered to you was you know fish or money or survival but now you walked away from all that other stuff you arranged your life around one thing following Jesus being with Jesus but then he says what we just read right there verse 5 he says I'm going away to the one who sent me and you go what he's leaving just imagine the disappointment that you feel when you realize everything you've built your life around is now unsure, uncertain. But not only does Jesus say, I'm, I'm leaving. He doesn't stop there. Then Jesus says, it is for your good that I go. Now, again, can you imagine as it runs through their head, wow, I'll never see Jesus heal another person again. I'll never hear his voice speak about the Father's love. I'll, uh, uh, wow. Wow, And I can imagine the disciples being angry almost or confused and saying, Jesus, you're going to leave and you just said it's a good thing? <laughs> no way. No way. I mean, sure, yeah, good thing for you, I guess, like you. You get to return you know, home and be with the Father. But a good thing for me? No way. Sounds like a cruel joke, actually. Except, here's the deal, if you're one of his disciples... You know Jesus well enough to know that he's not the kind of person who's going to say something like this in a, in a minimizing or superficial way. Now, honestly, ordinary people would do that, right? Deliver some really hard news, but then kind of minimize it or throw in like an offhanded comment to try to make it better, right? Anybody know what I'm talking about? Um, parents, not my parents, of course, they're sitting back there, so not my parents, but some parents, you know, Sometimes parents will say these kinds of things to their kids, you know, right before they're about to discipline them. You know what I mean? Anybody, right? Right? Well, this is for what? This is for this is for your own good. My, my parents would never have said that. Um, I, I might have. Uh, um, or here's the classic, right? This is going to hurt me more than, <laughs> right? Listen, um... Uh, the kids are out of the room, but listen, your children, they never believe those comments because mostly they know it's not true, okay? Um, and parents, we're just, you know, we're trying to have this lame version of empathy, right? Oh, it's, it's so hard for me to be a parent. But the truth is, we're just trying to get our kids, you know, like, don't be resentful, don't hate me, right? That's what we're after when we say these kinds of dismissive things. But 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 when Jesus says it here in John 16, it's better for you that I go away He's not doing it to keep the disciples from getting angry or sad. Jesus actually means it when he says it's better for him to go away. And he says, hey, it's better that I go away because if I don't, another translation says, the advocate won't come. But if I do go away, then I'll send him to you. Now, the advocate or counselor, depending on which translation you read, that's the Holy Spirit. The Greek word that is used there is paraclete. So the Holy Spirit is our advocate, our counselor, our encourager, and our comforter. And Jesus knows while he's physically here on earth, he can only be in one place at a time because he has a physical body. But the truth about the Holy Spirit is that the Holy Spirit can be in all places at any times, and the Holy Spirit lives within each believer. Now, many, um, in many ways, Jesus is saying to his disciples when he says all of this, it's really better for you to live in the era of the Holy Spirit than in the days that Jesus lived here on earth. And just think about that for a moment, right? So on the Bible's authority, on the words of Jesus, supposedly you, right here in your life, have the advantage over people who lived right next to him, could look him in the face, touch him, hear his voice. You have the advantage, I mean, have you ever thought like, oh man, it would just been so nice to to live when Jesus lived? I think about that, but I remember they didn't have toilets really, so I'm I'm okay. I'm okay. Just saying. But this verse makes it even easier too, right here, because according to Jesus Himself, we now have an advantage over those that got to see Him face to face back then. Now, why is that? And we'll get back to that in a moment. Um, But let's just jump in, follow the storyline. What happens next after Jesus does this? It's back to the story that we have been in, right? He says, it's better for me to go away. Then he gets betrayed. All of them fall away when he's arrested. We looked at how Peter denied Jesus last week. Um, And like Jesus predicted, they all fell away. They all scattered. And then Jesus goes to the cross and dies. But then he comes back to life. And then there's these 40 days between his resurrection and the ascension into heaven. And one of the things that Jesus does when he's speaking to them, we haven't looked at yet. But he gives what is called the Great Commission. It comes at the end of Matthew chapter 28. And this is what Jesus says to them. This is before he goes back to the Father. Matthew 28, verse 18. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth is given to me. Therefore, tells the disciples, you guys, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, of the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to obey everything I've commanded you, and surely I'm with you always to the very end of the age. Now, this instruction here um, seems almost, almost crazy here. What, Jesus? You're saying to go and make disciples of all nations? Seriously, Jesus? I mean, did you see what we just did? (laughs) Just a couple of weeks ago, we screwed up. Even strong Peter, who wanted to be our leader, even he denied you. We've shown how weak we are. How are we going to fulfill that? How are we ever going to do that? But remember, back to John 16, what we just read. Jesus said, it's really better to live in the era of the Spirit than while Jesus walked the earth. So you have the advantage according to Jesus, over the people that could look in his face and hear his voice. And again, why? Why is that? Well, let's turn to Acts chapter 1. Jesus makes another very important statement about the Holy Spirit. Jesus was about to turn, return to his Father. He's talking to the disciples for the last time. And he says in Acts chapter 14, let's see if we can get this on the screen here. I'm sorry, Acts chapter 1, verse 4, he says... On one occasion, he was uh, eating with them. This is Luke writing here. And Jesus gave this command. Jesus said, do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you heard me speak about, right, back there in John 16. For John baptized with water, John the Baptist baptized with water, but in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And by the way, I hope to get to that subject in these five weeks as well, what is being baptized in the Holy Spirit all about. Verse 7, Jesus said to them, It's not for you to know the times or dates the Father is sent by his own authority. Now listen to this part. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you will be my witnesses in all Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. Which again, how are these disciples who've recently blown it and messed up? How are they going to be the ones to go into all the world and make disciples, like Jesus said? Right, like hey Jesus, that's a big job. Remember, we just blew it. Maybe we just need a big do-over. Jesus, can you just kind of hang around for you know another ten or twenty years and show us all over again? Um, but he doesn't do that because he says you will receive. Power, And if you're one of those people that likes to underline or circle words in your Bible, that's a good one right there to circle the word power. Because with the coming of the Holy Spirit, if there was one word that would be associated with the Holy Spirit's ministry in you and in me, it's the word power. The word power. Now the word um, power in the Greek is dunamis, like like a dynamo. That's where that word comes from. And so when the Bible uses this word power, dunamis, it doesn't ever refer to our strengths, our abilities, as individuals. It's about the power of the Holy Spirit operating through you and me. So notice, Jesus doesn't say, well, how are you going to do this? How are you going to do what I've commanded you to? Well, listen, you're going to get further instructions. Um, you're going to get additional doctrinal information. Ah, oh, we'll send you a do-it-yourself church starter kit, right? Jesus doesn't do any of that. He knew something that they didn't know, and so they were nervous, right? The reason he had to go away was so that they could be filled and empowered by the Holy Spirit to do what Jesus called them to do. That the people of God would love and serve and reach our entire world. It wasn't about their own strength. It's not about our own strength. It's not about their own gifts. It's not about our own gifts. It's not about striving to make it happen, which is good news because they blew it, we blow it. Our best efforts would fall short. But here's what happens when you blow it, like they did, like we do, when we blow it enough or badly enough, we become finally humbled and convinced (laughs) that we have no other option than to depend on the power that is sent by the Holy Spirit. And so Jesus would say to them, I believe, hey, you guys think you've seen something the last three years? Put on your seatbelts, guys, because things are about to really take off. The Holy Spirit's coming, and when that happens, you'll receive power. You, an ordinary human being, will receive power. You'll be filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm going to ask each of you this week to read through Acts chapter 1 and 2 and try to imagine yourself in the disciples' shoes, as this whole thing plays out, because after what we read just a little bit ago in Acts one, Jesus then ascends to heaven, and I'm guessing the disciples were like, uh, "Okay, so the baptism of the Holy Spirit, we're going to get power. What's that going to look like? What, what are we looking for? What happens? You know, he didn't. He wasn't specific. What if we miss it? You know, what if it happens and we just somehow don't notice that it happened? Um, but good news: there's no need to worry. Acts chapter two, verse one says. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one place. Suddenly a sound, like the blowing of a violent wind, came from heaven, filled the whole house where they were sitting. Try to imagine this, folks. (laughs) Filled the house inside a violent wind like a tornado, just through the house. Inside, Then it says, verse 3, they saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came down to rest on each of them, and all of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues, which languages, right, as the Spirit enabled them. I mean, just try to imagine, like if they were going to make a movie of this, what this would have looked like. There's the disciples kind of afraid still and nervous because they're hiding, they're probably behind locked doors, And they're praying, right? They're praying because Jesus said to get together and pray. They're praying together, and suddenly this dynamo comes along, and instead of them being uh, overpowered and blown over by this wind, um, this wind inside the house is blowing, and then something like flames come down and then separate onto the heads of each person inside the house, and nobody's burned. Instead, they begin to speak in other languages, like, that'd be mind-blowing, mind-blowing. And with all this commotion going on, people start noticing it. People out in the streets start to notice this and gather around them. And the people that gather around them are from different countries, and they speak different languages. And they're amazed at what they hear, because here's these uneducated Jewish guys uh, and gals, and it's like the disciples had been given a crash course, because suddenly they can speak languages that nobody's ever taught them before. And the disciples—they're speaking, you know, probably Egyptian because there'd be people from Egypt around, and they're speaking, you know, Greek because there are Greek citizens around, and, and I'm sure that they spoke Irish, you know, because, well, that's the Holy Spirit's original language, right? So, but I wonder, like, and just imagining this this scene. All this happening, fire coming down, resting on them. I wonder if they looked at each other like, oh, I bet this is what Jesus meant when he said the Holy Spirit would come upon you. And wow, we didn't miss it, right? Jesus said, you will receive power. And these disciples who'd been hiding in fear behind locked doors, they got exactly that. Power to proclaim the gospel. Power to demonstrate the kingdom of God. Power to proclaim God's love and redemption for all. Real quickly, I just want to say, if you read the rest of the book of Acts, you get to see what the evidence was of the Holy Spirit being poured out. If you read the book of Acts, the evidence of the Holy Spirit being poured out was some amazing things, like you see healings happen, you see miracles, you see signs and wonders. There's supernatural power that flowed through these believers in really incredible ways, And, and... by the way, that's really important, legitimate, incredible stuff. And it's real. But sometimes, in the tradition that I grew up in, that's all we looked at. If you really look at the rest of the book of Acts, there's some other stuff that I think equally is amazing, right? Because other things happened when the Spirit came and filled each believer. Uh, people started to help one another so that it says that there was no need amongst them anymore. That was only going to happen by the power of the Spirit. Men and women were ministering together in context where before women were supposed to just stay out of it. But men and women were both given spiritual gifts and they could work together in the family of God. By the way, we still have some work to do in that in lots of churches. But it began in that way if you read through the book of Acts. And because of the empowering of the Holy Spirit and the filling of the Holy Spirit, this I think is one of the most amazing ones and I wish I'd see more of it in our day people who had for generations hated each other because of their racial divides, these people who couldn't stand each other and looked down on each other and judged each other and found political reasons to to distance themselves from one another and religious reasons and class reasons, those divisions were obliterated, like racism was set aside, and now they became family. So... Yes, the tongues and healing and all the miracles are amazing, but all this other stuff, I think, is equally mind-blowing because it's evidence of the Holy Spirit coming and filling their lives. No wonder, (laughs) it says in Acts 2.43, that everyone around them was filled with awe. Now, listen, just like today, there's a lot of things that they messed up and didn't do well. Um, even after the Spirit came, right? This thing wasn't perfect. Um, John Ortberg says, in some ways, giving them the Holy Spirit was like giving the keys of a Porsche to a seven-year-old, <laughs> right? But the truth is, one thing that they knew about this is that Jesus was right. He said, you're going to receive power. It's better that I go away so this power can come on you. And when they did, they received that power and everything changed. Nothing would be the same again ever, 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 you will receive power, Jesus says to them and to us. And he was right. Now, for 2,000 years, or maybe even the last 1,970 years, (laughs) the church has been wrestling and struggling, and I think some of the greatest minds in theology have fought and written and and pondered over what does the gift of the Holy Spirit actually mean for us. And so that's where we're going to jump in for the next number of weeks. What about us today? Where does that fit in with who we are? Because we've seen weird things and abuse things, and we go, that ain't real. But we've also seen people go, let's just shut it all down. That doesn't happen. And I think a lot of us know that's probably not a great option either. We don't want to eliminate one-third of the Trinity in our relating. So the question for us now is, what about us today? I mean, a question that I've had to ask myself time and time again, because... Um, sometimes I get nervous about what happens in some of those contexts. Um, But do we want the supernatural empowering of the Holy Spirit to actually fill us so that we could do what God has called us to do? And this kind of comes back to the questions and scenarios I had from earlier up front. Like if the Holy Spirit showed up in some ways that I or you were uncomfortable with, would we want it? Or would we squelch it? I don't exactly know the answer, honestly. I want to say, oh yeah, right? But there's some stuff that I'd go, we're going to test the spirits, right? Because some, not all spirits that do, like scripture says, test the spirits. Some of that stuff, eh, that's not the Holy Spirit, right? That's people being themselves. But sometimes it's hard to know. It takes discernment, friends. And for me, I grew up in this Pentecostal denomination. There were some really good things about it, but there were some weird things. Like, I saw things that were definitely the Holy Spirit. I saw people get healed. I've seen people get healed. Um, I've seen people get filled with the Holy Spirit and speak in tongues. Um, But I've also seen some things that I think were way, way, way off base. And for me, over the years, sorting all of that out was really tricky. And um, many of my friends, they stayed in that Pentecostal stream, and many of them also just opted out. And some of the people that opted out and just said, ah, I'm getting out of this, they saw the manipulation. They saw the abuses connected with this supposed spirit-filled stuff. In fact, part of it for a number of them was, you know, somebody would claim to be filled with the spirit and operate in all these gifts, but they were really jerks. I had to find the right word. (laughs) They were really jerks. They were abusive. They were manipulative. They had this spiritual-looking thing going on, and they made everyone else make sure they you know, make sure you feel inferior because I'm the spirit-filled one, and that's just not the Holy Spirit. See, when we're filled with the Holy Spirit, you may get the gifts, but there also needs to be some spiritual maturity and growth and change, right? But because some of the wacky stuff that a number of them, and maybe some of you have seen, um, some people just toss it all out. Ah, Holy Spirit, I don't want anything to do with any of this. I think I kind of landed somewhere in the middle. I kind of pendulum swing for a while. I wanted nothing to do with anybody that I thought was kind of pushing the gifts of the Spirit. And I'd hear different Christians argue about which side is right. And, and really, I'd go, you know what? I don't really care either way. You might both be right. I really don't care. I'm staying out of it. But then eventually... Um, through some experiences and some things that I did saw, see, I said, okay, I do believe that the supernatural gifts are real, that they are for today, but they still make me nervous. I just kind of want to not spend too much time there. And I wonder if many of us have had a place in a time in our life like that to some degree where we'd say, yeah, yeah, the Holy Spirit's real. But some of it just seems weird, and some of that TV evangelist stuff seems super fake. And I don't want to be weird, and I don't want to be fake, so no thanks. I'm just going to hang out here with, you know, God the Father and God the Son. Uh, Holy Spirit, eh, that's okay. But for my journey, and I don't have time to go into it this morning, but eventually, out of my heart for God and longing to have all that he has for me, I came back to this place of having an openness, an openness... Um, a desire to be filled again and again with the Holy Spirit. And let me tell you, when life is harder than you expect or ministry doesn't go the way you thought it would, um, you come up really desperate for the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, and I found myself there as well. And again, I don't believe all the same things that I did growing up about the Holy Spirit, and we'll get to some of that in some of the future messages, but I do know this for sure. I absolutely need the power of the Holy Spirit in my life and in my ministry. And people of hope, as we go into this topic here, we're not going to be pushy. We're not going to become demanding about this area. There is no you know, extra credit or higher status points for those people who operate in the gifts of the Spirit. We are not going to allow that to happen in this family. Some of you have seen that in other churches. We're not going to do that Um, places, there are some places where people are pressured, you know, to speak in tongues or prophesy. We are not going to put pressure on people for that kind of stuff. Um, Because if you've been in one of those contexts, you know that people that don't speak in tongues or prophesy sometimes get shamed or made to feel inferior or like they're second-class Christians. And that sort of posture, in my opinion, I think it actually grieves the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit would want none of that division, none of that pressure going on. See, Jesus went back to the father because he said it would be better for us to be filled with the holy spirit so if you're a follower of jesus if you've committed your life to him the holy spirit already lives inside of you holy spirit is already there and god just gives good gifts to his kids so ask and it will be given um Will we ask as a church, as individuals, for for the gifts of the Spirit in whatever ways to be poured out on us as individuals, as a church? Will we ask and keep asking? Will we knock and keep knocking? Will we seek and keep seeking? Worship team, will you come? I want to close with a thought. Psalm 42, verse 7, says this simple phrase, deep calls to deep deep calls to deep and i think part of what that means is the deepest part of our heart and spirit is made to be connected to the deep heart the deep love the deep power of god he's designed it intended it for us And friends, I know, I know, because on the one hand, our soul cries out for the Holy Spirit. Like, we're made for this connection. We're made to be filled by the Holy Spirit in in our lives. God means for you to be empowered by the Spirit, and we do. We need the counselor, right? We need the Holy Spirit to counsel and comfort, to be our strength, to be our guide. So we know we need it. Our heart knows we need it. But then on the other hand, we often, I think, opt, I do, to keep a safe distance Because living our lives fully dependent on the Holy Spirit, that seems a little, yeah, unsettling, unnerving. So I think we pull back. John Eldridge says this, he says, this is why false reverence is accepted. It's like having a relationship with somebody out of state. It doesn't intrude into your life too much. There's safety in the distance. You secure yourself against the fuller experience of the Holy Spirit's presence because he's so unnerving. See, there's no faking it in the presence of Holy Spirit. There is no way you can cling to your idols and agendas. And you sense this intuitively, so you keep your distance. We keep our distance without really looking like you're keeping your distance. And I love this last thing he says. When it comes to experiencing more of the Holy Spirit in your life much depends on what you are open to experiencing what you have been told you can experience and what you're comfortable with and so are you willing to let the Holy Spirit be himself with you what a perfect question for us to end on will we drop the false reverence will we lay down our fears that keep him at a distance And are you and are we willing to let the Holy Spirit be himself with you? Are we? And are you? And again, I want to remove any pressure or baggage or fear. And I want you to stand with me. And I'm just going to pray that simple but powerful prayer that I invite you to pray every day with us. The prayer is, Holy Spirit, come. I just encourage you to put your hands out in front of you, palms up, just in a posture to receive whatever God has for you. And pray, Holy Spirit, come. Let's say it together. Holy Spirit, come. One more time. Holy Spirit, come. And as now, as we enter into this time of worship, let's use it as a pause, as a time to receive what the Holy Spirit might have for us.